Good morning, brothers and sisters. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk about suffering this morning. Not suffering for suffering's sake, but suffering for righteousness' sake. But before I go there, let me re-emphasize a point I made two Sundays ago. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. Verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were often by being separated from you, here's what, I, here's what I want you to notice. Note the vivid family metaphors. Note the vivid family metaphors. Young children or infants, mother, father, often feel the emotional impact of those metaphors. They express Paul's deep love for the Thessalonian believers. Unfortunately, the family emphasis has somewhat been weakened in many English translations when they stress only the figurative sense of some of these metaphors. For example, in verse 17, ESV has it as, since we were torn away from you. NIV 2011 recovered the original meaning by rendering it as, when we were often by being separated from you. You see, Paul likens his forced departure from Thessalonica to being often. No other passage in all of Paul's epistles employs such deeply effective language in describing his relation to his converts. The implication is very clear. For Paul, the church is his family. Let me say that again. For Paul, the church is his family. Here's a photo from last year's family camp. We have fathers there, and mothers, and brothers, and sisters, and children. We are family. That's what we are. Here's another photo. The Mara Evangelical Church. They comprises believers from the Mara people, an ethnic group in Chin State, Myanmar. Some of their leaders are here with us this morning. Just raise your hand. They are over there. They used to worship here in Emmanuel House before the COVID pandemic. Beginning next Sunday, they will return here for on-site service. 
Let's welcome them warmly. They too are family. That's how we should see one another. It doesn't matter whether we are from this country or that country or whether we speak this language or that language. As long as we belong to Jesus Christ, we are family. Okay? So when you bump into one another or when you bump into them downstairs while they are waiting downstairs in order to come upstairs, welcome them. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. Because one day when we are up there or when we are the Lord Jesus Christ, we are family. There won't be no more nations, only one nation, the nation of Jesus Christ, only one kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If anyone should ask you, ever ask you, how big is your family? Do you have these questions? I'm sure many times. How big is your family? Tell them this, I come from a very big family. There I have many brothers and sisters. My family is bigger than you think. Tell them that. They will be curious. They will ask you, how many brothers and sisters you have? Well, let me see. Last count, 200 and more. Jesus once looked at a similar gathering and said, here is my brother and sister and mother. We are only doing what the Lord Jesus himself has done when he called those who obeys the Father's will as family. No other organization or social entity comes even close to exemplifying the rich concept of family than the church. Registration will be shortly begin for this year's family camp at Batam. This is a family camp. I hope to see all of you there. Yes. All of you. Don't let the camp fees deter you. Decide to go and God will provide. Don't miss this family gathering. Let's not stay away. Let's stay together because we are family. For eternity, one day we will be together. So while on earth here, we practice by staying together because we are family. You know, separated from his family in Thessalonica, Paul intensely longs to see them. He can't meet them on site. He can't return. Satan prevented that. He can't meet them online. Technology isn't available then. They are out of sight, but not out of mind. They are not far from Paul's thoughts. His repeated attempts to revisit them are foiled time and time again by Satan. We were told to stay vigilant last Sunday. Our enemy steals, kills, and destroys families. That's what he do. Don't let him succeed. Don't let him have his way. Let's maintain and strengthen family ties at every given opportunity at Sunday service, cell group meetings, church camps, and many others. That's why God gathers His people together again and again. Why? Because He wants them to remember, you are family, you are my family. That's what the Lord says to His people.
You know, you have seen um, parents picking their children up from school. They wait at the school gates for the classes to be dismissed. Sometimes you catch them talking to one another about their children. You, 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 you just overhear them and you hear them talking about their children. You, hear, you overhear comments about their son and daughter. Some good, some not so good, some not even worth mentioning. Now, what does Paul think about his family at Thessalonica? This is what he says. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. This is what Paul says of his family at Thessalonica. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his, cam- at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What, call, what caused Paul the greatest delight, the greatest joy? What gave him the most pride? His family, his church family, wherever they may be. In this case, at Thessalonica. You know, I share with my staff and some of you here that one constant prayer I pray to the Lord is this. Lord, you don't have to give me anything. I don't need anything of this world. But here's what I ask of you, Lord. When I open my eyes one day and I find myself in heaven, and that day of the Lord has come, Jesus has come back, and I open my eyes, I will first thing I'll do, I'll look around and see whether I can see all you of you there. With me, in the presence of Jesus Christ. So I ask of the Lord, Lord, I am not sure where their heart is, where their mind is, whether they will be with me in heaven or not. But Lord, can you do this for me? Grant me every one of them. This is the gift I ask of you, that when I open my eyes in heaven, I see my family, all of you, everyone, with the Lord. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. That's high praise indeed. Like a proud parent, Paul is saying of his converts, you are my hope, you are my joy, you are my crown of boasting. The church is Paul's gold medal at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His championship trophy, his victory parade, his badge of honour. He continues to exult over them. You are my glory. You are my pride and joy. You know, Paul is accused of deserting his children at Thessalonica, leaving them defenseless. Opponents outside the church have raised doubts about his love for the Thessalonian believers. Paul is confident, however, that his parenting will one day be vindicated. The Thessalonian church are the evidence and proof of his authentic, authentic, sorry, of his authentic gospel ministry before the Lord Jesus at his coming. For Paul has been faithful to his apostolic calling. And so, and so must we in our gospel ministry. I shared this two Sundays ago. This is how we ought to treat family. This is not just the responsibility of Paul or your pastors or your leaders. It's family responsibility. Let's nurse one another by feeding one another the Word of God. Let's care for one another deeply 
and affectionately. Let's share with one another the life-changing gospel and our gospel-changed lives. Let's behave godly toward one another in simplicity and sincerity. Let's nurture one another to walk worthy of the calling of God and the glory of His kingdom. That's what family do. And I ask each one of you to do this to one another. Nurse them, care for them, share with them. Behave well before them. Set yourself as an example and nurture one another to walk worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. Paul has been orphaned from the Thessalonian church. He hasn't seen them for some time. He doesn't know how they are faring in his absence. So he plans to find out. And that is where we have chapter 3. So open your Bibles there. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Next Sunday, I'll continue with verse 6 to 10. Let's look at verse 1 to 5. And you can read from these few verses Paul's heart for his family at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we keep telling you beforehand, that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labour would be in vain. As you can see on the slides, this unit is framed by verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. They share many similar words, except verse 5 uses the singular I instead of the plural we. Paul is no longer able to contain his love and concern for the believers. He chooses to be left alone in Athens. His ministry there hasn't been easy. He has few converts in the city. He is mocked by the philosophers there for his belief in the resurrection of the dead. It isn't easy to minister solo under such hostile circumstances. Nevertheless, Paul sends his trusted companion, his trusted protege, Timothy, to Thessalonica. He's willing to be left alone in a dangerous place. Why? Because he loves his family back at Thessalonica. He wants to find out how are they doing in my absence. Now, Timothy is no mere messenger boy. He is our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. The second title, God's co-worker, is lofty indeed. It establishes the credentials of Timothy. Paul is not present in person, but he is present through Timothy. He sends Timothy to establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. Go over there, he tells Timothy. Find out how they are. Encourage them. Strengthen them in their faith. Just as I have helped you, help them now. 
and then come back and tell me. He sends Timothy to establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. Why is it needed? Here's the first reason why. Firstly, because of the trials the Thessalonians are facing because of their faith, because of trials. Verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Paul is telling them that believers are destined to suffer. Now, I want to say that again. This is something you don't often hear. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this to Singaporeans. Because some of, my, some of the people from the other country, they know what suffering is. We don't. So I'm going to say this again. Believers are destined to suffer. The Bible is blunt on this point. For example, Acts 14.22 Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Believers are destined to suffer. And again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe. Will be. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. If you want to stand up for Jesus, you will be persecuted. If you want to defend righteousness, you will be persecuted. If you want to do what is right in the eyes of not of people but of God, you will be persecuted. Jesus says this, the world hates me and if the world hates me, the world will hate you too. If you love Jesus, if you obey His commandments, the world will hate you too. The Thessalonian church have encountered open hostility for their faith. They have suffered at the hands of their fellow citizens social harassment, social alienation, unjust accusation, to family pressure, to name just a possible few. Christians are destined to suffer. So if there's one thing you can take back at the end of this service this morning, just remember this. Say this in personally. Don't just say Christians are destined to suffer. Say this, I'm destined to suffer for Christ's sake. Destined. Even here in Singapore. You know, persecution comes in many forms. Now, let me see if you can identify with some of them. These are some of them I heard of. You are ridiculed for your faith. You share something about the Bible, people laugh at you. You are threatened for holding a particular biblical position. You receive hate mails. You are ostracized from certain groups. You are discriminated against for failing to comply to certain social norms. You are pressured to conform to a company ethos that is contrary to your faith. 
you are painted as a bigot. You are deprived of your rights to practice your faith publicly and without fear. You are cancelled on social media for expressing your Christian beliefs. You are verbally abused for belonging to a certain religious group. Do you identify with this? Do you know that these are some of the things experienced by Christians here in Singapore? They're real. Yes, here in Singapore. Yes, here in law-abiding Singapore. Of course, then there's physical persecution. Endured by believers in some parts of the world. What, what, what should we say to all this? Don't say, I don't know this will happen. I better keep my faith hidden. I don't like what is happening. I better don't tell anybody I'm a Christian. Don't say that. Say instead, I'm not surprised by this. I'm destined for this. Now, I'm not talking about suffering for suffering's sake. You eat bad food and then you got food poisoning, you don't say this is suffering. Ah. I'm talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. Suffering for Jesus' sake. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So Paul says, don't be no, sorry, Peter said, don't be surprised. It's not something strange. If you are in Christ, you are destined for this. You find yourself suffering for righteousness' sake. You find yourself afflicted for the gospel's sake. You find yourself persecuted for Christ's sake. What are you to do? Imitate the apostles. Look at Acts chapter 5. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, hear this, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The apostles were beaten. They were flogged. They were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus again. But they didn't hang their head in shame or despair. They rejoiced. <laughs> they rejoiced. They counted it worthy to suffer for Christ. They continued to preach Jesus publicly and openly from house to house. They didn't cease. They did not stop. In fact, they said to the authorities, consider this, is it better to obey men or to obey God? And the answer is absolutely clear. God said, go and make disciples of all nations. So they go. Jesus said, I'm hated, you too will be hated. 
They know. They witness it with their own eyes. They saw that's what happened to him. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, what the Lord Jesus is actually saying is that you are destined to suffer. That's what the cross is. It's not a decoration. It's not an ornament. It's come, to, come and suffer with me. That's what the Lord is saying to us. Come and suffer with me. Suffer for my sake. Suffer for kingdom's sake. Suffer for righteousness' sake. Verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Verse 4. The reason the Thessalonian believers know that they are destined to suffer is because this truth has been repeatedly drummed into them by Paul. And this is exactly what I'm doing today. I'm going to drum it into you and let you know so that you hear this if you have not heard it before or you have forgotten about it. I'm going to drum it into you. We are destined to suffer. Here's a forewarning. Trials will come. It will happen to you. You will suffer affliction for your faith. You will know it from first-hand experience. You are destined for it. I'm telling you this now before it happens, so that when it happens, you won't be surprised by it. Instead, you will rejoice and count it worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, what does suffering accomplish? Here's what suffering accomplished. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Hear this again. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul in Romans is speaking to the Romans or writing to the Romans and he's telling them, embrace afflictions for righteousness' sake. Because the way to hope Hope in Jesus Christ, hope for eternal life, hope for the blessed glory is through suffering. And you have to pass through suffering. If you desire to have the proven, proven character, you desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to pass through suffering. Because there's no other way God will refine His people except through suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. And when you endure, it produces character. And when character is formed, you realize when more and more you look like Jesus, you have great hope within you. The hope that Jesus will recognize you when He comes. Jesus will point to you and say, you are mine. Enter into heaven and rejoice with me forevermore. Embrace afflictions for righteousness. sake. Don't be shaken by them. They are part of God's sovereign plan. They are part of our maturing process. Remember that the symbol most associated with Christianity is the cross. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, English pastor and preacher, 
there are no crown wearers in heaven who will not cross bearers here below. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. There are no crown wearers in heaven who will not cross bearers here below. William Penn, or in the words of William Penn, English writer and religious thinker, no pain, no palm. No thorns, no throne. No gall, no glory. No cross, no crown. Suffering is fundamental to Christianity. It isn't a death wish. It's our destiny. We are destined to suffer. Paul sends Timothy to establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. Why is it needed? Firstly, because of trials. Secondly, because of temptations. Trials and temptations follow very closely behind. When things get very difficult, the, the, the tempter will use that opportunity to tempt you. You don't need Christ. Why believe? Just don't believe, and then all these problems will disappear. Nobody will hate you anymore. By trials, I refer to attacks that come from without. By temptations, I refer to attacks that come from within. So verse 5, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labour would be in vain. Paul is concerned about their faith. He is certain that Satan is up to his old tricks. Remember Job? Don't forget Job. I hope you know Job. Do you know something happened in heaven that Job doesn't know about? Satan said to God, does Job, does Job fear God for no reason? Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And that's exactly the same old trick he's repeating today when he sent affliction to Christians. He's telling God, watch this, huh? I make things difficult for them, they will sure curse you to your face. And today, many Christians do that. Why does God allow suffering in my life? I'm not going to believe anymore. Okay, that's it. I'm not going to believe today, no more. I'm not going back to church, I'm not doing this. Why? Because I asked God, take away this suffering, He never take away, so okay. He's not a real God, He's not there. He's, he's, he doesn't care. So they walk away. But they forgot what Scripture teaches. We are destined to suffer. It's a maturing process. Is for our good. Satan Satan always has the church in his crosshairs. You know, if you are army officer, You know what's the one thing army officers fear the most? 
when they are moving from place to place? Sniper. Kill the commander, the soldiers won't know what to do. You know, one thing I don't like about the army is that they know where the commander is. You know how to find the commander? It's very simple. You just look for all the radio antenna. Everywhere surrounding him huh, is all the radio antenna, no? Because he needs to communicate, right? So he will, he will, he will take this, he will communicate, he will take them, he will communicate, okay? He will communicate with Brigade HQ, he communicate with the fire support element. So all the signals, I say, Alamak, if I'm standing like that, the sniper will say, okay, who's the commander? Oh, there. That's it. Satan always has the church in his cross hand. The first people that he goes out for is the pastor of the church. And then the leaders. Kill the pastor, you kill the church. Cause the pastor to fall into temptation, into sin. You whack the whole church. You divide the church. Satan always has the church in his crosshair. That is certain. What is uncertain, however, is the outcome. You will come. But what is the outcome? Has the tempter succeeded? Has Paul's labor been in vain? Has there been a loss of faith? Has unceasing affliction causes, caused a loss of courage? Has the church succumbed to satanic enticements? Trials will come. Temptations will come. James chapter 1, verse 14 reminds us about temptation. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when he has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Satan, Christian observe Sabbath. Satan doesn't. He doesn't rest because he knows that his time is short. He studies very carefully your weaknesses and strengths. He uses them to his advantage. Yes, even your strengths can play into his hands. You see, sin strengths are not weaknesses. They are often left unguarded and unexamined. You protect your weak areas, right? But often you leave your strong areas unguarded and unexamined, and that's where Satan goes for. But this is my strength. How can, God, how can Satan use it against me? Oh yeah, he can. Trust me. I've experienced it before. Satan is a master of deception. He concords situations that leave you vulnerable to his siren songs. His temptations are sweet to the taste, but they are deadly to the soul. Satan lures and entices. He sows weeds in you. He cultivates it. He waters it. He causes it to grow. It brings forth death. If you let him. Paul is not unaware of the devil's schemes. He fears for the Thessalonian believers. He wonders how they are holding out. So he sends Timothy to find out about their faith. We now await Timothy's report. We'll read the report next Sunday. Meanwhile, what can be done to parry Satan's attacks? What can we do? Well, let's take the advice of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful, 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So firstly, be sober-minded. Stay away from intoxicating influences that dull your mind to the truth. Our host this morning asked you, did you bring your mind here or not? Or is your mind somewhere else? You know, there are intoxicating influences in life. And when you drink of those influences, uh, you go this way, you're drunk. And you can't think properly when you're drunk. And you're very vulnerable when you're drunk. And I'm not talking about drinking wine. Drunk in the influences of this world. Additions to certain substances, objects or behaviour are some of Satan's favourite weapons and tools. That's why people suffer from addictions. Addiction means this, I want something much more than God. I must have this. God, optional. Addictions. They severely weaken your ability to think clearly and act wisely. So Peter is saying to you, be sober-minded. Keep, your keep yourself away from all these intoxicating influences, and there are many. Secondly, be watchful. Word and prayer are the best early warning systems you can have. Word and prayer. They offer the most effective intruder alert. Hold fast to the Word of God. Stay vigilant in prayer. That's what I took back from last Sunday's message. Hold fast to the Word of God. Stay vigilant in prayer. They are your best warning system. You hold fast to the Word, you know the truth. So that when lies come, you say, I don't believe that. That's not the truth because I know the Word of God. I can show you from the Word of God why that is not true. Stay vigilant in, in prayer because you are weak. So you ask God, Lord, I'm weak, but strengthen me. Lend me your power. Help me resist. Help me win. So be watchful. Thirdly, stay, no, resist him. Give Satan no foothold into your life. Don't open the door to him. Don't dine with the devil, as some people say. Don't accept his dinner invitation. Have nothing to do with him at all. Don't play his games. Don't dabble in what he calls, this is just harmless fun. This is just harmless fun. It's okay lah. Don't dabble with it. Everything starts harmless and then becomes harmful. So we have be sober-minded, be watchful, resist him. And here's Peter's last advice, be firm in your faith. I'm more to say about this next Sunday. Be firm in your faith. Let no afflictions move you. Fear God and you will fear nothing else. Be grounded in the tenets of your faith. Know what you believe. Trust what you believe. Lift out what you believe. You know, I like the word brotherhood in verse 9 because for me, it is a synonym for family. Just as your family everywhere else is suffering the same thing. So the family here, let's suffer together with the rest of them. 
we join our family everywhere else as they suffer for the name of Christ, we too are willing to suffer for the name of Christ as well. United we stand, divided we fall. We must fight this better together because I believe it is coming. It is coming. Right, yes, here in Singapore. You know, our theme this year is outreach. Our tagline is every member a witness. You know, when I set out this when we set out this tagline, do you know what's the implication? You'll be afflicted. You'll suffer. I call on every believer here to publicly lift out your faith here, out there, and everywhere. Don't let anyone tell you that it is illegal to do so. The Singapore Constitution guarantees freedom of religion now. Let me show you, Article 15. Article 15, Singapore Constitution states this, every person has the right to profess and practice his religion and to propagate it. You can tell others that you are a Christian. You can openly lift out your Christian convictions without fear. You can share your Christian faith with others. Of course, don't force it on them. Like if they tell you, please, I'm not interested, you say, okay. That's what you do. <laughs> you don't force it. No, no, you must listen to me. You don't, you don't do that. You say, okay. You know, but anytime you're interested, anytime you want to find out more, I'm available. You don't ram it down their throat. Jesus never ram it down anyone's throat. So practice authentic gospel ministry. I spoke about this two Sundays ago. Hold fast to your commission. Why? Because our mission is genuine. Our message is true. Stay vigilant in your conduct. Why? Because our motive is pure. Our manner is love. Our means is self-giving. Trials will come. Temptations will come. The church will be targeted. The gospel of God will go forth in the midst of much opposition. Believers will be severely tested. Don't be afraid. Don't lose courage. Don't lose hope. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God and you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And let me close with this word from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And may this encourage you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Will you take this promise? This is God's promise to you. After you suffer for a little while, God Himself, the God of all grace, who has called you to this, to His eternal glory in Christ, He Himself personally will come to you to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let us pray. If you want a simple sentence that summarizes all the sermon this morning, maybe just write this down. Out of trials and temptations will come our triumph. How about that? Out of our trials and temptations will come our triumph. There? Every time you don't believe this, huh, look back at the cross. This is not defeat. This is victory. This is not pain. 
in the end, it is pain, but in the end, it is glory. And it means the salvation of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you heard my prayer constantly for the church. There are so many things I can ask for. But I ask for this church. I ask, O oh Lord, that whatever tests and afflictions they will face in the coming days, you help them to hold fast to the word, stay vigilant in prayer. They will not give up the faith. They will stay together with the family here. And Lord, this is the greatest gift you can give me, is that, O oh Lord, when I am where you are, when you take me to be where you are, and when I look around, I see every single face here. And none of them are on the other side. So Lord, will you grant me this prayer as I pray this publicly and ask this of you, O Lord. That Lord, they are your people. You redeem them with your precious blood. They are yours, given to you by the Father. Let no one snatch any of them out of the Father's hand. Lord, I can't protect them. I myself need to be protected, but you can. You can protect them. So Lord, protect them for there are real dangers out there. And suffering and afflictions will come into our shores. And we must be prepared for this. And to do so, we can stay together as a family. Establish strong ties with one another so that when those days come, we have a safe place to run to, the Church of God, the Church here in GFC. So Lord, will you bless us and help us to become a, a real family and then to believe this promise that you have given us, O oh Lord, that after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has caught us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself come to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. So we give you thanks, O Lord, for your love for us. And you are with us until the very end of days. We give you thanks. And in your name we pray, and that the people of God say, Amen. Amen.